That was maybe one of my better intros. That was good. Uh, I have, do not have official permission, by the way, from Metallica to be using that song. One reason, one of the reasons I do use that song in my intros uh, is because I I would actually I would actually skateboard down Lombard Street listening to that song at San Francisco when I was uh, a teenager. Um, I am Ian Hamilton Trottier. This is Discussion of Truth. Windward Radio, thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for checking out the podcast, whichever form, Spotify, Our Heart Radio, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, we have been in discussion over the course, uh, well, recently. There's, a, there's, an, there's an Arizona-based uh, FM station, uh, 2 million listeners, that uh, has expressed interest in uh, the show that I deliver Wednesdays, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Of course, this is a double header coming at you, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard. Um, and there is also another a major network based out of California. They do uh, online radio programs. Uh, they tell me that uh, one of the senators in that state uses them. They have also uh, said that they enjoy uh, the content that uh, the d- Discussions of Truth delivers. As well, they should. Uh, again, if this is your first time, just type. Just go to your browser, type Type in bit.ly. It's a shortened link, bit.ly. Type in bit.ly slash, and that's uh, forward slash, uh, I believe it's forward slash, um, Zika, that's capital Z-I-K-A, capital M, Miami, capital B, Beach. Capital Zika, again, capital Zika, Z-I-K-A, all capitals, uh, Miami Beach, capital M and B. Type that in. It, you know, if if you just simply type that in without the shortened link, you might even you might even also find it. Zika Miami Beach. Type in my name, Ian Trottier, that I N T R O T T I E R. I was shortly thereafter uh, after after that happened in in sixteen. Uh, contacted by Marion Hennon, who's been on the program about three times. Uh, well, not about. She has been on the program three times. Uh, she runs HoneyColony.com. Uh, she has interviewed Aaron Brockovich. She's been asked to. I don't know if she's been on Bill Maher yet. But she's uh, she's been in contact with Bill Maher about being on his program. Uh, she saves the honeybees. Okay, uh, that's one of the adverse effects to these uh, the chemical revolution, if you will, in sorts. Uh, the adverse effects on our honeybees. We have a dying uh, population of honeybees, which sooner or later is going to drastically affect the way that we live our lives. Um. But she had asked me about uh, uh, my, because I was tweeting about being opposed, my position of the Dibrom. Now, so if, this, if, if you did catch a Jerry Croft episode, uh, you just, we just got off the, the phone, phone line with him, the Skype line with him. Um, uh, if, if you did catch that, um, the link, and I didn't make the link the last last hour, but the link between Dibrom and Zika. If it doesn't blow you away, it should. Okay, and it is it is the main reason that I do what I do every Wednesday uh, afternoon. Dibrom, the pesticide used in Miami, Miami Beach, and Wynwood uh, neighborhood. Dibrom is a Chevron Chemical Corporation chemical mosquito repellent. I mean, talking about definition of the deep state, folks, it most likely goes beyond any information that you can garner off of Google. Most information, even if you had access to CIA files, whether it's top secret or beyond top secret of how many other levels there are beyond the top secret levels. Information that certainly the White House and the Oval Office is not privy to. You're talking about a link between a mosquito pesticide. The Rockefeller Foundation. And the Zika virus itself, which... If you type in, I think it's ACCT, uh, it's a lab out of England that actually, if you have the proper credentials, you can order a vial of the Zika virus to study. Sure you can. And who's got the patent on that? The Rockefellers. And the Rockefellers also the largest shareholders of, they own basically, Chevron Chemical, Chemical Corporation. So there is a link between, and then it, you, you can kind of throw in eugenics. You, you, there's all sorts of little trails you can you can you can trace here. 
But that's why I have Cecil Rhodes' last will and testament up on my website. You have a link to it. It's free. Click it. It doesn't cost you anything to go through it. IanTrotJ.com. Click on articles and you'll find a number of great articles to research. And that helps explain why I do what I do every Wednesday. Because there's a need for it. Because you should not be watching CNN. You should not be watching MSNBC. You should not be watching CBS. You should not be watching ESPN, for crying out loud. Okay? Very much. Very, very much. I mean, yeah, the sports are, yeah, of course, athletics are entertaining. Okay? But you should not be watching mainstream media. Because you are being brainwashed. And you are being pigeonholed. And you are deliberately, a la Charlotte Eisenberg, you are deliberately being dumbed down. Surf, not with an E, or excuse me, not with, an, not with a U, with an E. Surf, that is what you are expected to be, is a good taxpaying surf. Okay, just be a little cog in the wheel to make the wheel go round. And no, 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 you don't own the wheel. The Oval Office doesn't even know who owns the wheel, right? I mean, who owns the wheel? Who really makes the economy go? But that's why I like to 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 get into the Federal Reserve. And yes, this all started because a because of a link between the Dibrom mosquito repellent and the Zika uh, virus. Okay, the so the so called because this is again this is your your mainstream media brainwashing you. Oh, be so scared of the Zika virus. Be so scared. Yet I have it in email from highly trained and accomplished authors at New England Journal of Medicine and Lancet saying that there is no direct link that Zika causes microcephaly. Nothing directly. Oh, but see, be so scared. And spray DEET. Spray, spray your skin with DEET. So what's interesting here, and we're going to bring on JP here in a few minutes, but, well, a couple minutes, but uh, uh, a DEET, which is a, a common ingredient in your, 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 you know, like off, your common repellents, Publix or whether it's Piggly Wiggly, you may not have heard of that if you're in Miami. But uh, DEET. So I so I befriended this 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 former army fellow who anyway I won't get into that. But at the same time that Zika and DEET or Zika and Dibrom were a debate, not nearly a large enough debate. It didn't really carry much further out, outside of Miami Day at the time, but uh, there was a small debate. Uh, about the same time, I had befriended this guy that was that was in Iraq and fighting in the army, and and uh, um, and 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 he says, he says, hey, hey, she says, Ian, you know, the army would would prohibit us from spraying DEET on our skin. Uh, and uh, you know, we, we, we just, we, we, we're not allowed to use that because of the adverse chemical rea- reactions. Yet the local counties, uh, the local county anyway, Miami-Dade was saying, hey, you got you to gotta spray DEET. You got to, yeah, 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 you got to, in order to defend yourself from Zika. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. A lot of contradictions there. Um, and, and if you haven't checked out uh, the Health Ranger Mike Adams, uh, who who has expressed interest in being on the program, uh, if you haven't checked out what he's what he does in Texas, um, and he says it's a, a deadly combination that is DEET and uh, uh, Dibrom. I don't know if he says Dibrom per se, but 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 these other mosquito repellents. So there's, there's something deeper going on here um, that can take you down various kind of holes, and um, yeah, call it what you want, call it a theory, call it a conspiracy theory. Certainly, is a theory. Uh, conspiracy. I don't know if it's a conspiracy. Uh, that's not something that that I know. Now, now, I was asked today, uh, Paul Hellier, former guest on the program. Uh, you know, as far as uh, are are, is, are there extraterrestrial influences 
on he didn't ask me today but somebody asked me are there extraterrestrial influence extraterrestrial influences on the planet you know, i i don't know i i haven't seen or heard or I, I i don't know but i will say this paul hellier who's in now in his 90s and i think outside of prince philip the queen queen of england's uh husband outside of he's a largest or longest ranking political figure in canada uh, he's a former deputy prime minister for that country. Uh, he has says that he knows for a fact, for a fact, he says he knows for a fact, that there are extraterrestrial influences on this planet. Okay, and 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 I know David Ike is a former member, uh, former guest on the program. He's even said so. No, I don't go there because until I see it or until I hear it, then I won't go there. I'm not saying it's not happening, but what I am saying is that yes, there's many, the White House is being manipulated. You just heard uh, Jerry Croth say it, okay? He's uh, former professor at uh, uh, Santa Clara. That there is a deeper hidden organization or organizations that are clearly running this country, and therefore running global global policy and global economics. Okay, as I forget that the Rockefellers, the land that the United Nations sits on uh, was donated by the Rockefellers. Okay, so up until 2016, I never envisioned myself talking about this. But being exposed to that very controversial pesticide and just seeing how it was handled by the local government how it was being puppeted by more powerful strings, I realized that, yes, just like Jerry just said on the program, there is no democracy. Okay? It's the best democracy that money can buy. And Anthony Sutton, who's a former Stanford Hoover fellow, who, again, I've got a number of links to his books. They're all accessibly free um, uh, on my website, ianchrotj.com. Anthony Sutton... Uh, well, one of his one of his books uh, is actually uh, titled "The Best Money," or excuse me, "The Best Enemy Money Can Buy." Yes, he goes down a trail of Prescott Bush, Union Bank, and different CIA and American ties corporations that are not only funding uh, uh, funding the Western attack, but they're also funding the Eastern attack in World War II. They're funding Nazi Germany. So they're funding the enemy and the ally. Yes, this is fact. Okay, this is fact. This is fact. Uh, this really happened. And and, and uh, many of these layers... Look, 200 years is a very short period of time. You think about a kingdom like the United Kingdom. Think about think about uh, England or Britain. Uh, you know, they've, they've been ruling... But Oxford... Oxford is an institution that is, I think, just about a thousand years old, right? And and we've got since the inception of the Constitution, we have about 200, 250 years, two hundred forty years. Two hundred forty years is a blink of an eye. Well, a blink of an eye in, in, in as far as a, a city like Rome is concerned. Hmm, Rome, right? Deep state, any connection? Roman Empire. What are the elements of the Roman Empire that still exist? So, so look, looking at things in a different way, an alternative view, could be a benefit. And that's why I come to you every Wednesday at 5 o'clock Eastern Standard. Uh, next week, as I've mentioned, and we're going to be drinking J- JP, JP on here momentarily. Next week, Josh Reeves, Dallas-based radio host and filmmaker, can be joining us. He's got his daily show called the or weekly show. I'm not sure you when it airs, the Global Reality Show. And then after Josh, we're bringing another doubleheader your way next week because after Josh, conservative pundit Dr. Jane Ruby is going to be joining. We'll be joining Discussions of Truth. You can join, check her out at drjaneruby.com. She is much against mass media, um, and uh, she will be joining us uh, next week. February 5th, we're going to starting off February, February with Family of Secrets. 
The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years by Russell Warren Baker. Russ is a publisher and investigative journalist, controversial, credible, courageous. Baker is an editor-in-chief and founder of nonprofit news organization whowhatwhy.com. Check out the website. Native of Venice, California, Russ has a BA in political science from UCLA and an MA from Columbia School of Journalism. He's a former contributing editor of the Columbia Journalism Review. In his 25-plus year career, Baker has written for a variety of publications, including the New York Times Magazine, The New Yorker, The Washington Post, Esquire, Vanity Fair, and The Village Voice. Bill Moyer said this about Russ. He seemed unimpressed with conventional wisdom. Hmm, good, right? Quickly spotted and dismissed spin and wasn't intimidated by the powers that be. What are those powers? Baker is the author of 2008 book, Family Secrets, which raises uncomfortable questions about members of the Bush family and their careers and relationships outside of politics and presents evidence of connections between President George H.W. Bush and individuals involved with the Watergate scandal and assassination of, yet again, President Kennedy. We're going to follow that up in February, February 12th with Kevin Arnett. Excuse me, Arnett. He's a renowned global human rights campaigner, author, and whistleblower who has led the movement to expose and prosecute child murder by church and state in Canada and Europe. Kevin is the co-founder of the International Tri Tribunal of Crimes of Church and State. He has been twice nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, he says. Murder by Decree, the Crime of Genocide in Canada is the name of his book. And then February 19th, as previous men previously mentioned, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. Bandy Lee, MD and MDiv of Divinity, that is, Yale University, organizer of the Yale Duty to Warn Conference. Bandy will be joining us the 19th of February. And rounding out February will be, for the second time, Tom Hartman be joining us again for the second time. We've got a slate of incredible guests coming your way uh, all the way up into April. Thank you for tuning in to Winwood Radio. This is Ian Hamilton Trottier for Discussions of Truth. Again, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. We're now going to bring in J.P. Lindstra. So, again, using uh, our wonderful Skype uh, technology, ring in J.P. here. Stand by. Okay, JP typically prefers a phone. Let's see if we can dial him in via phone. Again, standing by, this is Ian Trottier for Discussion to Truth, Winwood Radio. Look for JP Lindstroth here. Bring him in by phone. Mobile studio here. Hello? JP. Hey, Ian. Great to connect with you again. Happy 2020. You too. You uh, too. Thanks. So, JP, uh, you know, it's been uh, what, what, the last the last Lindstroth report uh, that we delivered was what was that in November? Did we have one in December? It's been it's been a while. I think it's been a while. Yeah, I think I think it was November. Yeah, I'm not I'm not quite sure. So, if this is uh, your first time listening to JP, um, uh, JP is a former Fulbright scholar to Brazil. He's got his PhD from Oxford. And we we have for over a year, over close to a year now. Uh, certainly, you've been mm -hmm. a multi guest on the program, but for uh, for a number a number of months now, we have strived to bring uh, the Lindstroth report because uh, to listeners because the work that you do is very important. Uh, JP, uh, I really I really appreciate that, and it's always a, a pleasure to be on your show. And, uh, yes. And, uh, 
I've been a recurring guest since 2017, so I'm really happy about that. And you've got, and 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 and, and we discussed uh, prior, but you've got a you've got a book uh, that uh, initially uh, we were going to discuss, but 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 we will wait uh, because of an agreement right. uh, until that's released. Uh, are you able to? Right. Are you able to mention the name of the book, the title of the book? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's sort of for a prize. I think that's why the the publisher is being a little bit cagey about it. But that's fine. And and I, you know, I want to defer to them. But it, the book is called Epical Reckonings. Um, it is a it's a book. I would call it a book of political poetry. Oh. And what God. I mean by that is that it's on the. Uh, it's about the crises of the 21st centuries or like major events, at least up until, uh, you know, August of this past year when I submitted it. And then, um, so it's got shortlisted for this prize. And basically it's about uh, a recurring theme in the book is, uh, racism. Uh, and then, you know, some of the, the poetry themes are nine 11, um, killing of, African-American young men by police. Um, what else? Uh, the, the Hurricane Katrina, uh, the the earthquake in uh, Haiti in 2010, um, and, and 9-11. And so various themes that, um, you know, that I felt were significant in the 21st century. And I think that that somebody who might not normally pick up a book of poetry might might want to pick up this book just because it, the topics are kind of interesting and topical. Epical Reckonings. Epical Reckonings, yes, sir. Uh, uh, JP, is this the same publisher you've used in the past or a new a new publisher? It's a new publisher, yeah. And it's a new publisher, and the book is shortlisted for a prize. And so I think what they wanted to do was kind of wait until uh, the book was published to kind of, you know, then go on kind of a marketing campaign, as it were. Are you are you in a position to name that publisher? I prefer not to just because, like, I don't want to give away the prize at the moment. Yep. And, and so I, I want to I defer to them because they want to announce, like, you know, the finalist and the winner and so on. Okay. And are you able to mention the award or prize that it's nominated for? Well, it's it's the same name of the publisher, so okay, <laughs> so, so that, that's why that I'm being a little bit cagey about that. But, I, um, JP, but thank you for asking me, though. But thank you, yeah. Of course. Uh, when it when, oh, what's the release date? I think it'll be out in April. That's what I was told. So okay, so we'll have that uh, we'll have that discussion then in April regarding uh, epical reckonings. JP, what are your thoughts on the uh, ridiculous fires? That, now, I I, I don't I, I, people are being hurt, people's livelihoods are being changed, but it, it to me it's like you couple the fires going on in Brazil, you couple the these ridiculously random fires that seem to be wildfires that happen in California. That's why I use the word ridiculous. Ridiculous is not. I, I don't I, I don't want to be uh, 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 hurting anybody's anybody's feelings. I, I realize that people's lives yeah. are changing here. But it just seems a little bit out of control. Um, what are your thoughts on these fires in Australia, JP? Yeah, I, I was going to talk today about um, like the legacy of King because it's 52 years since his death. But let's we can talk about the fires a little bit too. What I would say is that um, surprisingly, um, uh, you know, and 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 because of climate change, fires have been gone going on over the world. Not only in Brazil, but also in Central Africa and the Congo area in um, in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, in Russia, uh, and and now in Australia. And what I, I think it's fairly clear to say that um, it's climate related because of the dipolar uh, warm um, uh, currents that uh, have occurred this year. And if you just comparing, for example, the Brazilian fires, which uh, have destroyed 6 million acres in Brazil, comparing that 
with the Australian fires, which have destroyed up to now, and they're still ongoing, 13 million acres, Ian. Wow. Wow. So it's it's doubled, and it's 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 really huge. I mean, I, I don't. I think it's hard to get our our heads around the sense of like how many animals have been killed in these brush fires. I mean, estimates by different scientists, 500 million animals, which, you know, these are unique marsupials, which as you know, are unique to that continent, which, you know, obviously the famous ones are what kangaroos and, um, uh, koalas and wallabies, 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 but, um, but just devastating people's homes and so on and so forth. But scientists are saying, well, this is just the beginning, you know, and, and when they say things like that, that kind of, uh, you hear kind of the opposite in, in Davos, Switzerland, uh, yesterday and today about people really kind of denying the, the issue. I think it's problematic, you know, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, what is I haven't really I haven't been keeping up with it at all. I mean, I have seen uh, I've seen some pictures on the wildlife. That, that is this another wildfire? What caused this one? This is due to the dry conditions um, in Australia. The uh, extremely extreme drought. Yeah, they haven't had any water uh, in extremely dry conditions, and then these what's called the dipolar. Um, currents, which is kind of like um, the El Nino effect in the Western Hemisphere, uh-huh, uh-huh. which occurs kind of in the um, Indian Ocean area up in, in the Pacific, um, the currents surrounding Australia. Uh-huh. And so that, along with the dry conditions, have caused these fires. And I, and I, I just it's just devastating. I mean, I, I think some of them probably were accidents, but they're totally different in in scope uh, as far as how they began. And politically, um, you can say that in Brazil, at least, it's really cattle farmers who are responsible for the fires in Brazil. Yeah. Whereas in in um, in Australia, it's more because of these drought conditions. So, is this a reflection of the climate changing globally? I would have to say yes, and I would have to say uh, that it's pretty clear, yeah. Um, and I would, uh, just based on what I've read and based on uh, what scientists are saying. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's transition now, JP. Um, let's get into some of the, 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 the current stuff that you're working on. Um, are, are you releasing uh, counterpunch articles? Well, let's get into what what uh, what you want to tackle. Right. So, I mean, uh, Monday here was uh, the holiday for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, I, I think it's important to just talk about King's legacy, at least. Um, you know, forty. I was there. Uh, I was at the Lorraine Motel, which is now a museum. That's where he was shot in Memphis. Uh, back in 1968, I was there for the 40th anniversary. I happened to just by chance meet um, Jesse Jackson, who yeah. was there with King when he died. But I think I think one of the things that uh, is important to talk about is really King's legacy as far as dealing with poverty, dealing with racism, um, dealing with. Uh, equal rights, even in our society today. I think that those legacies are important today and especially important for young people that don't have um, the King assassination or Malcolm X assassination living memory that, you know, this is their, maybe their grandparents' generation that um, right. that were alive when those events, tragic events happened. JP. Um, so, the, the, yeah, the last article I wrote was about understanding that peacemakers aren't necessarily people that work in the peace studies field, but people that actually help society in general, like, uh, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, people that public teachers that work in lower socioeconomic schools, um, firemen, policemen. And I think there's been a recent study by, um, 
Steven Pinker uh, wrote a book called Better Angels of Our Nature, um, showing that in general, society is more peaceful than it was, for example, uh, comparatively like in the Middle Ages. Oh, interesting. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Now, uh, backing up just slightly, uh, JP, did you did you mention that you had dialogue with uh, Reverend Jackson? So I met Jesse Jackson. Uh, I really just shook his hand at that museum. Okay, I didn't dialogue with him. I mean, he he actually writes for Counterpunch as well, Ian. So okay, I didn't know. That. I um, yeah. So I don't. I haven't really dialogued with him personally. Uh, I'd like to one day, but. I mean, maybe when my new nonfiction book comes out, right? And uh, and that book's coming out, and they want the publisher wants that book in April, sorry, in, in March. And uh, and that book is a nonfiction book about uh, racism and extreme discourse and a lot of things that we're seeing today in the United States. So, uh, so this is really, this is a, this is a loaded topic, obviously with the black lives matter. And I think there were, uh, were the Honolulu police, were they, were there any blacks, uh, black officers on that? I, I don't know, but the, it seems like these, you know, these shootings are becoming, uh, commonplace. I mean, it's like, you've got the mass shootings in these schools as one thing, but then, right. but then these, these black, uh, you know, either black cops are getting shot or black, uh, white cops are shooting blacks. Um, what, what, what is, you know, as, as much as, and as much as there has been, uh, such great development and progress from, uh, from the Martin Luther King, uh, days and era, not to not to not to, not to not to mention, of course, that he was assassinated uh, himself. But uh, but it seems yeah. that um, it seems that uh, balance has come to society racially uh, so much uh, in such a greater form uh, mm -hmm. since those days. But yet we've got these persistent problems. Right. I, I think that. I mean, after the Michael Brown killing and after Trayvon Martin was killed, I mean, I think that the last presidential administration of the Obama administration, as you know, probably put millions of dollars in getting police, uh, body cameras. Right. So I think that that was a federal initiative to get police body cameras. So that's one issue to make, I guess, police more accountable and actually talking to policemen. Um, um, they feel also better to have them. Um, many of them, and my cousin, my cousin is a, a a policeman in Minnesota, or he just retired, I think, this past year. And uh, and my brother-in-law happens to be a, a fireman. So what you're you're correct in in pointing out that I think that the Me Too movement really began um, after the Michael Brown killing in Ferguson, Missouri. And I so I think um, it's. It's a really delicate issue because obviously, um, you know, officers are trained to react to situations of danger. And I don't want to take anything away from officers who are doing their duty, doing their job. But I think that some of these cases, some of them point to the need for more training and maybe more community awareness or more community involvement. And that's certainly not the case for many policemen who are well-trained who are doing their job and who are um, in the communities and so on. And my cousin's a good example of a, a police officer who's spent his career with community involvement. Yeah. But I think in, in some circumstances, and that's why these cases have, blown up or created like for example to meet the black lives matter movement um yeah i mean in some cases that right there was a, there was a highly I, I think it became a, a motion picture i don't remember who released it but it was called fruitville uh based off of a shooting a white cop and maybe it was a taser incident it might have been a taser incident i i don't know if it's shooting or tasering or what it was but Somebody lost their life. Uh -huh. The black youth had lost lost their life. Uh, so you right. you think, JP? You think that a a a uh, reformation to the way that 
uh, police academies, perhaps across the country, uh, uh, train uh, new cadets. You think an entire course, perhaps, should go into um, uh, racial uh, understanding, or uh, well, how would you envision that uh, 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 type of process, uh, educational process happening, or training process happening? You know, you know. Again, I'm not a policeman, so I, I'm not. I can't say I'm a, you know, I am the expert on on this issue or this field. But I have been in peace studies and conflict resolution for a while, and I think what the Ferguson case pointed to me or pointed out was that here you have uh, a, a largely black neighborhood, which was Ferguson's a, a, a suburb of of. St. Louis, right in Missouri. Um, here and and you have very little African American police officers in that unit. Interesting. So obviously, obviously that in that case you needed more people from the community becoming police officers, more involvement, so you don't have this separation of the perception of racial profiling, right? And at least you know I think. And I think a lot of police forces are doing this, and at least the the large ones I know are. I mean, are are, are moving towards conflict resolution, are thinking about how to be more communally involved, and have been doing so for quite some time. I mean, you know, this is the racial profiling issue is a huge issue, as you know, and has been ongoing um, and criticized for a long time since really the '80s. I mean, uh, but the whole idea of body cameras and some of the newer ideas of peace uh, studies and conflict resolution, I think have been helpful. And I know that when I was at least teaching in, uh, in a, in a, in a conflict resolution academic department, um, there were uh, uh, police officers and former police officers and people interested in, and 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 creating better atmospheres uh, in those uh, dynamics, and, and you know, and you know, it's, as I said, it's there's it's complicated. There's gray areas, obviously, uh, and and they're trained um, obviously to handle very dangerous situations. So I don't. I want to repeat that, and I have to be repetitive here. I, I want to repeat that I don't want to take away from the excellent work that police officers do because they do excellent work in the community already. And they do very dangerous jobs. And I would say the most dangerous jobs in the United States because they're always dealing with danger and things on the line. And some of the most dangerous situations are domestic violence. But, but I certainly think that the trend is to have, you know, people who are in the peace studies field and conflict resolution I think departments are now at least hiring people to do courses and things like that. Right. Now, not that there's a parallel at all, but I, I believe my understanding is that is that in, in England, for instance, I, I don't I, – maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that their police departments, their officers carry – the bobbies, I think, as they refer to, I don't think that they carry guns. Not to say that they're, 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 that that could be something that could be replicated here because guns are it's just flying. changed a little bit, Ian, in the sense that traditionally they have it, right? You're correct. Okay. But after 9-11 and after they had, you know, some the London subway bombings, um, right? security still stepped up. So they're, you know, around Parliament, obviously, and around uh, areas that need to be secured that there's officers with guns uh, and you see the more of that presence but in general that's true that they don't so so okay so we don't going... have the issue yeah. in, they don't have the issue in the UK Ian as you know because they don't have the second amendment and they don't have the right to bear arms they don't uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know the, the weapons aren't I mean guns aren't available like they're in the US Okay. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, I knew it was, it was, it was, it was a, it was a very awkward parallel to even consider drawing. But I, I wanted to bring it up anyway. So anyway, so 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 Martin Luther King, uh, to twenty twenty, and we've still got these 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 continual racial issues. 
why why do we have that uh, why is that a persistent issue in uh in, in american culture uh i mean you you, you your your answer to that yeah. might be well hey how does a guy like donald trump get in the, get into the office but uh, is 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 the, is the, is america from your view uh, jp and not that this is your uh, specialty at all but is america racially divided still uh i would say yes it is i would Easily. say yes and i would say i would say look here's the thing about race and the United States. And um, as I, I was always talk about this with other people, that race is in every country, right? You can find racism, racism in every country, whether it's France, whether it's England, whether it's Canada, uh, whether it's Brazil, um, or I don't care where you go in the world, China, Russia, wherever. You're going to have racism because people... Um, define difference right yeah, and people yeah. define difference and there's a there's a biological aspect of this because of how um cognitively people define difference in their minds uh and how that works out but you know as uh, anthropologists and i've talked about this before i think on our program on your program that um on on the on the trottier show that uh Race is a socio socio cultural construct. In other words, people sure. define it culturally. People define who they are as an ethnic group uh, and difference uh, culturally, um, and define boundaries culturally. But I think you know, and, and to just to get a little bit controversial, that um, the Trump administration, or at least Donald Trump, in, in talking about some of these sensitive issues in some ways has made it worse. Um, I think it's clear uh, what happened in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia in 2016. Um, some of the rhetoric that he used wasn't helpful at all. And so I think, um, uh, and, I, and I've written about this too, and I think that that kind of signaling gets, gets the wrong message across. And what I worry though, is that it gets the wrong message across to kids, uh, you know, to young people. Of course. So, so the legacy of King, yes, and in some ways we're better. Obviously, we're better with having the civil rights legislation that was passed in the 1960s. Uh, are is it as racially defined as it was in the, you know, when when King was alive? Well, we're a much more desegregated society. We're much more celebratory of African-Americans than ever, um, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's Hollywood. Um, but we're, we're, the racial divides are still there and it's still a touchstone and it's still sensitive. And I think that's clear uh, in, the, in the divides that have happened from the Obama administration to the Trump administration. I think it's some of, the, some, some of it's clear. Do you think a so what, do you, what do you think? Well, do you think a figure like a Martin Luther King, given the given the shrinkage of the middle class, do you think do you think a figure like a Martin Luther King would be able to gain that type of support and following in today's society as he did in the '60s? Do you think it'd be possible today? Well, well, the issues aren't as pressing. In other words, the, he. I mean, the issues of poverty and the issues of, of imprisonment and the issues of housing and some of those legacies are still there. But the the issues that he was fighting for, civil rights of voting, equal voting, um, uh, uh, you know, have gone away with those with that legislation being passed with Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, would King... Uh, I mean, there are kind of people around that have taken over. I mean, if you look at, for example, Cornell West, sure, yeah, um, who was at Princeton, now he's at Harvard again. He's one of the African American intellectuals. He was critical of Obama, um, President Obama, and not doing President Obama not doing enough for poverty, for example. Uh, you have Michael uh, Dyson, who's at, I believe at Lehigh University. He's been outspoken. 
she was outspoken about Katrina, for example. She's another scholar. I think you find some of these voices more in academia, um, Ian, and I think, but I, I, as far as, you know, uh, the movement being as strong, I mean, I don't think Al Sharpton has the intellectual gifts that uh, King had or the rhetoric of Malcolm X. Now, Sharpton's a good leader, but I mean, the issues have changed. Some of them have remained the same. Um, but I think I think that um, obviously the times have changed. So the the you know the people leading the Black Lives Matter movement are different people. But the legacies of King and Malcolm X and those types of civil rights leaders persist because of the resonance of the times in which they spoke, and because of the urgency of the matter because of the uh, Jim Crow South that was still existing 100 years after the Civil War. Yeah. It's, and yeah. it, yeah. No, it's it's really it's it's um, it, it's it's an entire uh, episode, if not an entire book, to really try to understand the the psyche of the American people and what what that makes up because there's so many different demographics involved in that and and yes we're 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 in a totally different country in many ways today in 2020 with the, the with the color barrier being crossed uh, everywhere I mean Clarence Thomas has been on the Supreme Court for a couple decades now if not more um, right. and, and 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 Thurgood Marshall before him so there's uh, you know you're talking about leaders such as Cornel West and there's just brilliant minds of all ethical backgrounds, really, that are rising, uh, not just from the African American community, if, if you will, and that I think is one of the the, the, the great things about uh, the United States. But it is uh, it is uh, uh, somewhat jaw dropping to a degree to look back at this and say, well, well, as far as we have come, we still have these uh, enormous challenges uh, put forth ahead of us and so as much progress right. as has been made the perhaps very little progress in the large scheme of things has been I think made. so I, I think so I think I mean I remember hearing when Obama was first elected when Barack Obama was first elected that now we're in a post-racial America right okay and that was a feeling amongst you know a few academics few scholars but it it's proven to be not the case at all, actually. Right. Especially with some of these racially motivated killings. And I'm not even, I won't even limit it to the African-American community because we see a lot of anti-Semitism today as well. People, you know, shooting at mosques at, um, and, 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 um, and Jewish temples. And so, you know, whether it's the Jewish minority or even um, Muslim minorities, you know, minorities have been targeted, and we can extend that to to new immigrants. Okay, so the the and I think and this is one of the interesting legacies too of Dr. Martin Luther King is that at the end of his life he was extending the civil rights movement and not limiting it just to uh, African Americans, but he he wanted to embrace the Chicano movement. He wanted to embrace. Appalachian whites, right? People, poor whites. He wanted to embrace, make it more embracing. And another legacy too, and I think this needs to be mentioned, is that he came out against the Vietnam War, and he lost a lot of people with that year. Mm, mm. And one of the people that actually helped convince him to go against the war was this uh, Vietnamese monk who's still alive. His name is Thich Nhat Han. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but he's a Viet. He was a Viet. He is a Vietnamese monk. I think he's like a living saint, huh. and he's lived all of his life in exile out because of the Vietnam War, and convinced Dr. Martin Luther King to go against the war as, as part of his movement of nonviolence. And so I think too we have to question the, you know, what are, you know, the idea of just war. What is a just war? Are the, all the uh, conflicts that the United States have been involved in are of all those have been necessarily just to be involved in, right? 
Yeah, uh, they're all highly questionable. I, I personally uh, think any any war really should be questionable. It's just a it's a it's a it's a it's a sign of mental weakness uh, of uh, of man and and their and, and man's uh, desire for greed. In many instances, I think war is really a disgusting aspect of of, of life. There's really no need for it, but. Uh, but it is right. it is here, and it's right. uh, it's a, an element of our history, and unfortunately, likely uh, right. element of uh, somebody's future. Um, so, okay, uh, right. <laughs> um, so JP, we we've covered a lot here, um, and um, winding down here uh, uh, for the hour. Um, uh, 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 what else would you like to leave with listeners, JP? What else have you got cooking um, uh, outside of that? And 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 not to not to not mention uh, that this is uh, this is something that will be uh, found in uh, JP's uh, book release in April. The uh, the Black Lives Matter is that correct, JP? That'll be addressed in your in your book coming up here. That's going to be addressed in my um, in the poetry book ethical reckonings but it's also going to be addressed um in my nonfiction book which i need to get to the publisher by march and and so that book is called crises beyond nationalities and we're still i guess negotiating the title but uh, pro, uh provisionally crises beyond nationalities uh uh racism politics and extreme rhetoric in the modern era something like that Oh. But that's that'll be coming out um, soon, and um, hoping uh, at least, hopefully by the fall. So the ethical wrecking is coming out in April, and then I have this other one coming out um, hopefully by this coming fall. But um, how would I? And I mean, gosh, Ian. I mean, you know, like one of the reasons why I wrote the uh, ethical wrecking is political poetry, just kind of underline how many crises we're, we have around the world, um, whether we're talking about uh, the genocide in um, Myanmar with yeah. the Rohingya, mm-hmm. or we're talking about uh, the, the, the people starving in Yemen, which I've written about, or, the, um, or whether we're talking about the Uyghur Muslims who are in uh, prison camps we, we've talked about in the show uh, in China, Western China. Right. Uh, and, and or we're talking about racism in the U.S. or racism really in Brazil or or France or the U.K. or anywhere in the world. These are still prevailing issues, and I think that um, are you know it's interesting how as a society we address them. We address all these crises around the world within the United States, and I'm. I'm trying to write about them just as, you know, as an observer, but also as a crit- as a person concerned, right? As an sure. academic who's concerned that these issues need to be told and also in, in some, and for, uh, at least for the poetry book for, to let, have the voices of people who are not normally heard to be heard, right? That kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, Ray McGovern's a former, a uh, high-ranking CIA agent that uh, I, I try to frequently mention this. Uh, he used to hand-write briefings to uh, Bush Sr. Uh, at the White House, and he has been, he's come out uh, opposed to the, the structure of the CIA, and he's come out and he's, he's been opposed to mass media, and, and, and not to influence your your thinking or your thoughts in any way, JP, but, uh, but uh, on this program about a year and a half ago, he said, this is the final frontier for Americans and how they receive their news and their information. Um, uh, mass media, the large media channels are completely, uh, they simply just brainwash the American public, which is uh, what, uh, what uh, 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 excuse me, I think I said Al McCoy. Um, not Al McCoy. Al McGovern. Uh, Ray McGovern, right. yeah. Well, Ray McGovern. Ray, Ray McGovern. I think that just to follow up on that point, this is a point that was brought up by Noam Chomsky, Ian, and that's the point of manufactured consent. And that large media, as you know, is controlled by large corporations. And so, I mean, they, 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 they form opinions, and like you said, they form it, um, they, don't, they don't really have um, minority opinions often, um, or you don't really have dissenting views. 
And because of that, uh, you know, you were subjected to these sound bites. And as you mentioned, the mass media is not favorable to like these kind of discussions. I mean, you get it somewhat, like if you watch PBS or uh, I mean, you know, get your see that NPR, right? You get it through there, but not every American does it. People are divided also because of what the media has done with Fox and MSNBC, and so we're a divided public because of how the media has constructed the political atmosphere, right? And division creates chaos and out of chaos comes opportunity. Uh, JP, thanks for joining Discuss Your Truth and, and, and Windward Radio. Uh, I've just received word from management. There, there will be a, a new address coming up uh, for, for listeners to, uh, to type in uh, to search engine. Uh, JP, some, some final thoughts from you, uh, sir. Some final thoughts. Well, uh, my, my, I guess my final thoughts are that, that we're uh, entering this uh, new year, 2020, and my hope is that um, our leaders are, are more accountable to the people that they represent and that we're taking things seriously like we talked about at the beginning of the show, climate change, and we're taking and we are addressing issues which are sensitive to society, whether we're talking about racism or uh, extreme violence or whatever. And I think that there is evidence of the, the latter being addressed, but it's still worrying that we have to have a discussion uh, or a serious discussions about climate change and now when it's fairly evident that we have this all over the world. Last year, 2019, being the hottest year on record. Wow. And so my final thoughts are that, that you know, we need to do better. Oh, we always need to do better. I mean, it's always, we always want to do better, but all of us, all of us, not just leaders, people in general, and this is the point of my last article, all of us individuals, part of society, can be peacemakers in our own right. It doesn't have to be people in the peace field. It doesn't have to be leaders. It can be just everyday people. Go volunteer. Um, get involved in, in your community. Do something. Help people out. There's homeless people to deal with. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things you can that can be done, right? So. Excellent. Some, some great thoughts. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, JP. Uh, JP, we'll bring you on next month. We've got a uh, we've got a slate lined up here, uh, going up all the way up into uh, May, actually, for discuss your truth. We got bookings all the way up into May, and uh, and so we'll we'll be throwing in some double headers here, uh, and uh, we will make it work uh, next month. I'll be in contact with you about uh, about having you back on the program, uh, JP, as long as schedules work for both of us. Uh, congratulations on the, uh, the the new books, and uh, until uh, next time, JP. I uh, appreciate you coming on the program. Ladies and gentlemen, J.P. Lindstra. Hey, thank you so much, Ian. I, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Have a good day. And that's J.P. Lindstra. He is a former Fulbright, Fulbright scholar to Brazil and uh, Ph.D. from Oxford. Uh, he teaches in South Florida. And uh, I know he teaches uh, some somewhat at Barry University. Or used to. Um, anyway, you can find his work simply by googling um, uh, J.P. Lindstroth, just as it sounds. L-I-N-S-T-R-O-T-H. And he has uh, regularly joined Discuss Your Truth uh, for for about about a year and a half now. Um, and as I had mentioned, we try to bring him on most regularly once a month uh, and, 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 and strive to uh, bring him on the first Wednesday of the month. So look for that coming into February. Uh, next week, Josh Reeves. Next week, another doubleheader. Josh Reeves uh, coming at you uh, from uh, Dallas, Texas. And we'll follow Josh up. Uh, with uh, Dr. Jane Ruby. Uh, she's a speaker and author uh, and a firm patriot, American patriot. Uh, she'll talk about her book, A Sea of New Media. And this is becoming a increasing, uh, increasing important issue. That is how you, 
and I receive our news. And what is news? How do you define media? Ask yourself this question. How do you define media? What is media? Is media online radio? Is media podcasting? Uh, what are your sources? How do you know you can trust your sources? Um, fake news. Okay. Uh, we started this program as Florida Sun and Spray Show. It was a Florida Sun and Spray Show. That meaning, meaning enjoy the enjoy the wonderful rays of the sun while you're being death sprayed with a toxic, highly toxic, neurotoxic uh, chemical that is Dibrom. The Florida Sun and Spray Show. It evolved to discussions of truth and continues to grow. IanTrotchet.com has all of the past guests, uh, past and uh, those scheduled for the future. Uh, Dear Maid McCulloch is a uh, 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 got a PhD in uh, divinity studies at Oxford, I believe. Uh, Tobias Churchin being rescheduled. Amy Yarsinski being rescheduled. Uh, a. Ralph Epperson scheduled. William Blunden. Kevin Shipp. Tom Hartman, Bandy Lee. The, the program has been very fortunate uh, since its inception. You can find a full list. Anton Chaykin, you can find a full list of uh, past guests and future guests uh, at iantrache.com. Donate to the program and look for no, excuse me, look for Freedom Reserved, No More Lies. That is a book authored by myself, Ian Trottier, Trine Day Publishing. Uh, you can buy that or you can pre-order it right now. Uh, just type that into your browser. You can order it on Amazon. You can order it uh, uh, from uh, other online retailers. Uh, pre-order is coming. That'll be released April 2020. And folks, until next week, this has been another discussion of truth. This one, a Linstroth report from J.P. Linstroth. Until next week. Be awesome.